Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles tonight, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Acts chapter 23. I'm going to read a few verses here, maybe the first five verses, and just ask the Lord to speak something into our spirit tonight. Amen. Our prayer request this evening several, many of those, many of those very pertinent needs, and let's ask the Lord to touch them, and man, He is able to minister. The book of Acts chapter 23 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And Paul, earnestly beholding the counsel, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? And then said Paul, I wist not, or I knew not, I knew not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Amen. I've often said on moments like this that I've had the privilege to think this out, study this through, and uh, collect my thoughts. And I'm just asking you many, many times just to jump in with me on the deep end. Amen. <laughs> And so I'm just going to ask you to do that one more time. Don't have to trust me. Let's just trust the word. How's that? Yeah. Amen. May God bless us. Let's pray over his word. Lord, I love you this evening. I'm asking you now, Lord, to just touch my mind and my heart that I might be able to concisely put together. Lord, what I feel like you have shared with me today that we can just share with this congregation that we ourselves as a body Lord, we'll become more like you. That is our goal. That is our ultimate goal here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. I want to uh, preach simply tonight. My subject is this, identity protection. Amen, identity protection. That seems like a pretty good thing to talk about in 2023, doesn't it? <laughs> identity protection is, is a phrase that unfortunately we're all too accustomed to today. According to a report from January of this year, approximately 33% of U.S. citizens have been victims of identity theft at some point in their lives. That's more than double the global average, so that's a little frightening for us who are here in America. Therefore, it's no wonder that, that it's... Almost everywhere we look, uh, in written form or online or wherever it may be, that many, many advertisements talk about the crisis 
of identity theft. And certainly, if you have ever experienced that yourself on any level, I have not experienced that, but I have friends that have, and it is a very traumatic thing, a very serious thing. And uh, so it's not a small matter by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm sure that most of you are like us, and you're inundated with not only snail mails, but emails and all manner of things that are offering to help protect our identity. They say our system is the best, and uh, then somebody else will say their system is even better, and somebody else have a system that's even better. And we certainly want to believe that, and we want to buy into the idea that someone could, and in fact would, be have the ability to protect our identity. Now, several years ago, I remember seeing a national campaign where the president of a certain company, uh, president of one of these companies, publicly advertised his own social security number. It was written in bold letters on the side of a vehicle, and they would show that vehicle passing through large cities. And, and all of this was an effort to convince potential customers how safe their system was. Now, in my opinion, that was a bold move, <laughs> a very bold move. <clears throat> I was taught from, uh, from the very moment that I got my Social Security card that you don't give this number away. You know, we, we guard that and protect that, of course, and is very much a part of our lives now, and we can do no business without it. But still, I always get a little sunken feeling when somebody asks me for my Social Security number, can I get a witness in this house? <laughs> and... Um, so these companies list their abilities to protect your bank accounts and your credit cards and, and um, social security numbers. Basically, it is protecting your life. And uh, we understand that that would be a horrible thing. And by the time they're finished, we are convinced that if we will just do what they do or if you'll go with their system, that we will never have to worry again. Then about the time you are convinced that they have exactly what you need, they hit you with something significant, and that is what this service is going to cost you. Amen. I did get a witness there without even asking for it. <clears throat> and uh, it's all to back up really what matters most, and that is our identity. But there is a bottom line to this story. And the bottom line of the story is this, that if you want to protect your identity, there's a price to pay. And sometimes it's a pretty significant price to pay. As we progress through life and, and, and our personality and our actions, I believe that those things sort of define who we are as we make our way through life. I mean, not, uh, but those things do not come without a price tag. Not, they don't come free of charge. And so we have to understand the value of backing up what matters the most. Now, I've, I've shared this before. It's been a long time. But back in about 1999, um, I had a laptop computer, and, and you backed up all of your information on CD drive, CD-ROMs, and uh, on CD disc. And, uh, and so... I have a cousin who was pretty astute in the computer world. And so he was one that really was teaching me how to use a computer and how to do the things I was wanting to do and transferring sermon notes over and 
And uh, it was relatively new. I don't know, several years have been using that. And so he just ingrained in me the importance of backing everything up. He said, you just don't understand the value of protecting your information. And so I bought a new sleeve of um, CD-ROM, and I, and I went into my office. And so I was going to be really sure. And so I backed up once, and then I backed up on another CD-ROM, and then I backed up on another CD-ROM. Because I was just thinking, kind of like Brother Danny, if one vitamin will do you good, six really ought to help. And so, as fate would have it, somewhere around 2000, the end of 99 or 2000, my computer crashed. And uh, while I was very, my hard drive on my computer crashed, and so while I was very concerned, I was also very relieved. Because I didn't just have one backup but I had three backups. And so I went to the man who was working on the computers in Lake City and I took him my computer and I took him all three of those CDs and I said, so here are three identical copies and so we ought to be able to get through this. Um, a few hours later, he called me. He said, I am not sure what the odds of this would be, but not only did your hard drive crash, but all three of these CDs are defective. And I totally lost several years of sermons and illustrations. And, um, and I know that you're just sitting here at rapt attention, and I appreciate that. But it was, a, it was a pretty disparaging moment for me. There was no way to get any of those things back. And so I know what it's like to lose a few things. And so I can only imagine what it would be like to just lose everything. But if you want to protect your identity, there's a price to pay. There is a price to pay. Amen. All through life. And so we're surrounded by this central truth that in life, whatever you want, there's a price. You can, for the most part, you can drive whatever you want to drive if you're willing to pay the price. You can wear whatever you want to wear if you're willing to pay the price. You may be seated. Amen. But it's still a truth. There's a price tag. There's a price tag associated with all of those things. Now, I realize tonight you didn't show up, nor did you sign up for an identity protection class, but I bring this up to simply say this, that many years ago, my wife and I decided that it was worth the price to have our identity protected, especially in the world that we live in. I'm not here to promote their company or their services, but, but I am here this evening to say this, that if, if I was willing to pay the price, the annual price, to protect our identity. I'm willing to pay whatever it takes, so to speak, to protect things that could someday rust and decay and be moth-eaten and fade away. Then how much more should I not be willing to protect something that is associated with my spiritual identity? Amen. There's a price attached but it is worth the price. Now, I don't want to shake you with this statement, but we should never doubt that all of us, including myself, have come to intersections in our life, intersections of compromise, intersections and times and seasons where the enemy is just trying to get us to compromise some issue in our life, whatever it may be, something that we thought was nailed down, we thought that was a forever settled issue in our heart, our mind, our lives, and then before you know it, the winds of adversity come and they blow against those things. Amen. 
But we have to realize, I've had to realize, you are here tonight because somewhere along the, the way you realize that there is nothing more important to me. It is worth expending every ounce of energy that I have to protect my or our identity, to protect who we are. And then there, there would be things. The enemy doesn't come along and just say, why don't you go to hell with me? No, no, no. He doesn't come along like that. It's just going to be just move the line here a little. Just move the line there a little. And then after a while, we have morphed into something that is not even recognizable. Amen. So I think it, that, that should be the heartbeat of every child of God that I want to do everything within my power and with God's help to help me protect my identity in Him. I think the hour in which we live, it is certainly uh, in order to emphasize the importance of our identity. Amen. I'm not just trying to ride the wave of where we are as a society today, but it's, it certainly won't hurt us to understand the value of where identity is in our world. Amen. We should, I think, even more sense the need for clear-cut lines in the world in which we're living. Amen. We, we are under attack. We're not coming under attack. Our principles and our morals are not one of these days in the sweet by and by going to be under attack. They are under attack as we sit in this building tonight. And really and truly, we would have to have our head buried in the sand. We would have to be living under a rock to not understand how, how, uh, how pointedly the enemy is working against the principles of the Word of God. Amen. Now with that said, I want to... I want to look back at our text, and really I want to go a little bit before our text in, in Acts chapter 22. And we see that Paul has traveled to Jerusalem, and he has, he has come to propagate the gospel that has changed his life. So we're meeting Paul here as this new convert on the way to Damascus. God has done a powerful work, a wondrous work in his life. And in verse number 22, uh, in chapter 22, verses 1 through 21, Paul is summarizing his conversion story. Now, it's a powerful, powerful conversion. When you read about it as it unfolds, and then you read about it as Paul begins to share it again, when we read the story, what the Lord began to do in the life of Paul, we get excited because of the grace that had been extended, because we know the whole story. But if we slow down and we read this story frame by frame, keeping ourselves within the context of the Word as it is, as it is unfolding, we can understand that, that uh, what Paul had to say, as excited as we may be about that, what Paul was saying was not necessarily words that were being welcomed by the audience. Over the next few verses, uh, here's what we read. Paul has told this great conversion story. Now, I just think us as Hatchman Apostolic Church, I just believe as somebody walked in and uh, just started sharing with us what the Lord had done with, for them and in their life, I believe uh, the level of tenderness and mercy and redemption that abides and resides within our church family, I believe that we would rejoice in that moment. But let's read what they were doing. Amen. Over the next few verses, hear what they, here's what they said. They said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. Well, this is not the testimony service, not quite going like Paul, like Paul thought this was going to go. He's, he's thinking somebody's going to ease over to the Hammond B3 and start playing real soft organ music in the background. The choir is going to strike up. 
Amen. And that could, that could not have been reassuring words for the Apostle Paul. Then in verse number 23, the Bible says they cried out and they cast off their clothes and they threw dirt or dust into the air. I mean, they're just throwing down. I mean, this we, we need to do away with this man. But again, we need to remember that Paul was one of the greatest persecutors of the church. And so they don't know whether to believe this or not. So I'm not trying to be hard on our audience tonight, but they, they weren't nearly as excited about this transformation as the Apostle Paul was. And so the Bible says in verse 24 that they brought him into the castle that he should be examined by scourging. Well, that sounds like the sentence has already, has already been passed. And we're going to talk to you about the beating. Amen. He was going to be examined by the scourging. They were binding him for the scourging when, when Paul asked the question of the day. And that was in verse number 25. Paul said, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? I thought about, we would say this in, in, in our modern society, I thought I was innocent until proven guilty. I thought that, that I had a little bit of law here on my side. And, and so Paul says, how can you scourge a man that is a Roman, number one, and how could you scourge a man that is yet uncondemned? And so Paul was an educated man. If you know anything about him, we know that he was an educated man and he knew the law. And so he is pushing back on them. And so when the centurion heard that, the centurion went to the chief captain and he told him, and so here's words of instruction were this. He said, take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. So we had better stop uh, we, we better at least put on pause what we're doing here because little did we know this man is a Roman. And so when the chief captain confirmed that in fact he was in fact a Roman, things changed just somewhat in the landscape of the story. But in verse number 29, it says those that were going to examine him departed. And then it says that the chief captain was afraid once that he knew that he was a Roman and they realized that they had bound him illegally. They had arrested him without cause and they loosed him from his bands and they commanded the chief priest and all their counsel to appear. I'm just summarizing these verses and they brought Paul down and they set Paul down among them. So now they were about to take him and scourge him Paul reminds him that he's not been found condemned and that he is a Roman. And somebody in the, in the camp says, hey, you, we, we better take those handcuffs off of him and we better approach this in a little bit different fashion. Amen. So they brought him down. They put together a council and, and uh, they set him before them. Then in the opening verses of the next chapter, we read these following unfolding events. In verse number one, Paul once again starts attempting to state his case. Amen. He's starting to try to tell them again about his conversion and what God has done in his life. However, the high priest Ananias commanded those that were standing by him to smite him on the mouth. Now think about that. These are grown men. And so Paul begins to try to con convey what God has done in his life. And the high priest says... One of you guys that are standing close enough to him, just smack him in the mouth. That's an insult of insults. And so Paul's reaction to this is somewhat startling. This was a part of our text. Acts 23 and 3. Then said Paul unto him, God smite thee, thou whited wall. 
that's not as offensive to us in this day as it was to them. He said, Thou white of wall, for thou sittest, for sittest thou to judge me after the law and commands me to be smitten that's contrary to the law? You're supposed to be representing the law and you're asking me to be smitten which is contrary to the law. And, and when Paul posed this question, that question gave birth to another question. And the Bible says that somebody in that council spoke up and they said, Revilest thou God's high priest? In other words, they said to Paul, uh, you, you're going to speak back to Ananias, the high priest? You're going to talk back to him? Now listen to this. To this question, so we got this litany of questions that are going on here. To this question, Paul speaks up and says something that serves as the foundation of our Bible lesson this evening. And that is found in chapter 23, verse 5. The Bible says, Then Paul said, I wist not, or I knew not, brethren, that he was the high priest. And then Paul quotes a little bit of the law because he was saying, I know it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. And so Paul said, The crux of the matter, I think, is really bound up in the first 13 words of verse number 5. Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest. I didn't know he was the high priest. He goes on to say once again, his knowledge of the law, I, I realized, I didn't know he was the high priest. It was sort of an, a, an apology, but as you'll see in just a moment, I believe it was more than an apology. I believe it was an indictment. I didn't know this was a high priest because I know the law says that you shall not speak ruler evil of the ruler of the people. So I think it's important that we note how quickly that Paul responded. He didn't have to think about this. Can I call you back tomorrow? The atmosphere of everything changed in a moment. As a matter of fact, when they said, you know you're not supposed to speak evil against the high priest. You're not supposed to revile the high priest. The atmosphere changed in a moment. And Paul now addresses these men and, and even calls them brethren. Brethren, I didn't know. I, I didn't realize that he was the high priest. However, the thing that is arresting about this passage of Scripture to me is what Paul said, I knew not, I wish not that he was the high priest. And so we're in this council. Paul just hears a man in the crowd say, one of you men that are near, smite him on the mouth. And Paul is trying to figure out who's speaking and who's doing what. Amen. The reason for Paul's plight was this that he had been unable to recognize the man that gave this command as the high priest. Now I realize that this gives room for several questions here tonight. Amen. And so why was it that he was unable to recognize Ananias as a high priest? That would be the first obvious question. Paul's reply, as you begin to study this out, has been interpreted many, many different ways. And so some writers assume that it could have been because Paul had been away from the Jewish religious scene for many years. So maybe that there was a chance that, that this was a new high priest and he didn't realize, he didn't know that Ananias was the high priest. And so maybe he didn't know everybody that was on that council. And maybe there could be, could be some truth to this. Some say maybe, maybe this was an informal meeting and uh, an informal, a quickly arranged meeting of the, of, of the council. And maybe the high priest wasn't wearing his traditional garments. Or, or maybe Ananias wasn't sitting in that, in that usual place. 
And so for the sake of our study here tonight, I would just like to ask this question. And that is this, was it possible that the high priest had lost the distinguishing marks that separated him from everybody else? Because in the mind of Paul, this was a group of men and they all looked alike. And Paul is trying to figure out who is the man that spoke up and gave the command for me to be smitten. And so when we look at the appearance requirements of a high priest, we find that he should have at least at a minimum had on a priestly garment. But the Bible doesn't just call him a priest, but the Bible refers to him as a high priest. And so as a high priest, he would be required to wear certain things that would denote or that would separate him from the rest of the crowd. A breastplate, an ephod, a sash, amen. Some things that would that would just in a moment of, of, of a moment of of, uh, uh, of recognition would identify this man. You may not know his name, you may not know his lineage, you may have no idea of his background, but because of what I see, this identifies you as the high priest. Amen. However, for reasons that we may never know. Ananias was not wearing the garments of the priesthood, at least in this moment. And this garment would have separated him not only as a priest, but if he had had been wearing what he should have been wearing, it would have denoted him as the high priest in this moment. Now, it would be very, very easy for us tonight to segue into uh, a message about our apostolic identity here. Amen. But I want to just stay focused for a moment or two on our text. Amen. The focus of our text is the fact that the high priest had lost his identity. For whatever reason, he had become just a man among men. He had just become another man at the table, another voice in the room. And as a result, the apostle Paul failed to recognize him for who he was. Now, I will say again, there's a lot of conjecture about this, so please allow me a little bit of room to just stir up our pure heart. Amen. Stir up our conscience with a few questions. Amen. Did the preparations of the priestly garment in this moment for Ananias, was it just too inconvenient for you to put this on? Was, did you not have time? Did you not have room? Did you not see that this would be significant? Did Ananias in this moment think, well, what will it hurt? It won't matter if I just go to this meeting. It won't matter. It won't matter if I just try to blend in. Or was it due to the fact that he didn't know any better? Could we take the blame of this up a level? Was there another generation before him that said, you don't have to wear these priestly garments to every meeting. You don't have to wear these priestly garments to every time we gather for a council. We may never ever be able to give an educated answer to the questions or to give an answer that would be justifiable. And so, therefore, let's just leave these questions behind. Amen. And let's just simply look at the facts as they are presented in Scripture. And here's what we know. Amen. There was something that happened. Something changed the course of this day. Something changed the course of this meeting that caused this high priest to lose his identity and a moment that he needed it the most. As a matter of fact, what he was doing was illegal. What he was doing was outside the letter and the line of the law. And, and so here's a man that's giving commands. And, and Paul, again, is an educated man. 
Paul was a man that had a balanced grasp of what this council should look like and how this should all unfold and, and how all of this should play out. Yet amid this setting, well, there was a man, a man sitting there that knew what to look for. He knew what to look to. And somehow he missed the point of everything because the identity of, of Ananias had been lost. The identity of the high priest had been lost. I know my audience tonight. Amen. You're at least three steps ahead of me in this message right now. But I will tell you that I believe the loss of identity or should it, it ought to be or it should be a valid concern for every Holy Ghost filled individual that's walking the face of this earth today. Amen. I believe that that ought to be the, one of the most important things that we could ever have in our lives that I do not want to lose our identity. I don't, I don't want to lose my identity. Amen. So I'll just start off at my address. I'll just start off on my front door. Is that all right? I don't want to lose my identity. I don't want my family to lose our identity collectively. But I will tell you as the shepherd of this church, Amen. Not, I, I don't, not just as a husband and not just as a father and not just as a father-in-law, but as the shepherd of this church, I don't want us to lose our identity. Amen. I think it is vitally important that the world be able to look up and realize and recognize that we're not just another person. We're not just another church. It's not just another body of believers that has the word Christian somehow slung over their shoulder or hung arbitrarily over the door. Hallelujah. I believe there ought to be something in our heart that is real, that is genuine. Amen. I mentioned it a moment ago, but we're seeing the real ramifications. The real ramifications, not supposed, with the real ramifications of a segment of people that have lost their appreciation for identity. Amen. This is a serious issue in the world in which we're living. Like it or not, we can, uh, uh, we can process or not, we can reject this if we choose, but our nation's children and youth are coming under attack. This is where we are. Hallelujah. That's why I say, Lord God, help us not to just maintain our identity as male and female, but we need to maintain our identity as God's elect. Amen. We need to maintain our identity as the church of the living God, blood-bought, buried in His name, filled with His Spirit. There ought to be something that the world can recognize in a moment, whether it's a glimpse or they hear us. There ought to be something that resoundingly says, this is a child of God. More now than ever before, we need to have some steadfast convictions in our mind, steadfast convictions in our heart, and steadfast convictions in our home. Not things that we're going to get around to. Not things that we're going to try to build and, and, and to nurture and to, and to have some kind of foundation or structure one of these days in the sweet by and by. We've got to get these things established now. This has got to be in my heart. I shall not be. I shall not be moved. Amen. That's the song that has a message of foundation. A song that has a message that says we will not bend and we will not bow. Amen. Amen. Like a tree planted by the waters, I shall not be moved. Hallelujah. I remember that song as a child. I remember that song as a young person. 
we, we may not literally or physically sing that song as much or as often anymore, but I believe that in our heart that ought to be the message that everybody hears when we walk out of our front door. I shall not be moved. I, I can't help where the world is going. I can't help how far the world may be drifting one way or the other. But what I can do is I can make sure where I am. I can make sure where the moorings of my heart. And so in my mind, I got to get my mind made up. My heart, I got to get some issues settled in my heart. My home, I got to build some fences. I got to put some locks in my house and in my home. Amen. We're not going to go there. Why? Because the world is having an identity crisis. And so God forbid while the world is having an identity identity crisis don't let the church have an identity crisis if there's ever been a time the church ought to know that we are the church the blood bought if we ought to know that we are buried in his name resurrected filled by his power it is the hour in which we're living in right now amen i don't want to try to figure this out down the road and we better not wait till our children are 18 before we figure it out Amen. We need to make sure they know this now. That's what Deuteronomy. Amen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I realize Deuteronomy 6 and 4, but if there's anything more important than Deuteronomy 6 and 4, it's the verses that follow that. Amen. Don't forget it. Write it down. Talk about it when you get up. Talk about it when you lie down. Our generation, this generation needs to know that there is a God. Amen. And we identify with His Spirit. We identify with His Word. We identify with His truth. Hallelujah. I'm concerned about people drifting from their apostolic moorings because it's more than what meets the eye. The church is not a dog and pony show. The church is not an attraction for the world to just see. The church is something for the world to experience. I said something a few weeks ago. I want to reiterate tonight that if our apostolic message becomes an inconvenience to this generation... I can assure you that it will be a nuisance to the next generation. And so if it is inconvenient for us to come to church, we can forget a generation behind us coming to church. If it is inconvenient for us to pray, you can forget about a generation behind us praying. If it is inconvenient for us to worship and magnify the Lord and live godly and righteously and soberly in this present world, we can forget about a generation behind us. I'm so thankful. I'm going to say it again. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to repeat myself. I'm going to say it again. I'm so thankful for every lecturer that has ever spoken to me as a student and taught me the Word of God. I'm so thankful whether that was preaching or teaching in a corporate setting like this or in a small group setting. I'm so thankful for those opportunities for everybody that could ever make sense of the Word of God and bring it down to my level. But I am just as thankful for those that did didn't just hear the word but I'm thankful for the examples hallelujah I didn't hear the preacher preaching one thing at the church and my mom and dad living something else at home I didn't hear the preacher preaching about one thing here and then see a bunch of conflict and messages somewhere else praise God I'm thankful for the examples they weren't preachers they weren't teachers they weren't missionaries they weren't evangelists they weren't church planners they were saints of God filled to the brim with the Holy 
Ghost. They weren't perfect. They didn't claim to be perfect. But I tell you what they were. They were faithful. And they were dedicated. And they were loyal to the Word of God. And they didn't just hear it with their ears. They heard it with their heart. And they lived it out. And so I'm thankful for the teachers. But I'm also thankful for the examples. Praise God. I believe we have a message worth fighting for. I believe we have a message worth standing for. I believe we have a foundation that has value beyond anything else in this world. And I don't want to lose the things that would identify the church to the lost. Amen. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. And I I realize that in our modern, uh, with all of our modern technologies, that that to some degree, signs have lost their significance. You don't have to watch for signs as diligently as you used to have to watch for signs. I grew up in a truck driving family and, and uh, was a truck driver myself before going into the ministry full time. And when we left in the mornings, we had an address on a piece of paper. And we were taught which direction streets run, which direction avenues run. <laughs> I see some brother Jimmy, these are UPS fellas. They understand what I'm talking about now, brother Mike. We were taught. Never been to that city in my life. Never been to that place of business in my life. And signs and instructions were very, very critical. I can remember I had a, a load that I was taking down to Sarasota one day and, and I, I was riding up and down the road and according to the address, the building wasn't there. And, and you know, you're in a tractor trailer. It's not always easy to turn around. And, and so I finally, uh, I rode down the road and there were some guys that were some construction workers building a house and I pulled over and I... I walked up to one of those men and I said, I'm trying to find this address. He looked at that address. He looked at me. He said, sir, if these instructions are right, what you're looking for, the business you're looking for is right out there in the middle of that pond. And so someone had written Avenue instead of Street. Just one word. What difference does it make? It made all the... I wasn't even in the right part of town. Are you with me? It matters. And we've got everything and every wind coming along saying, it don't matter. You can move this. You can move that. Amen. I'm talking about identity protection. It'll be worth whatever you pay. It'll be worth whatever price you pay. If you've avoided somebody stealing something that really belongs to you. Amen. While external holiness would seem like the obvious reach tonight, I, I need to remind you that holiness runs much deeper than just the garments that we wear. And oh, how important that is. That is critically important. I believe everything about someone filled with the Holy Ghost ought to be different. Everything. Not just what they wear. Not just how they look. Amen. What they wear, yes. 
Things they attend where they go, yes. Where we find entertainment, yes. Things that we refrain from, yes. But I also believe that people ought to be able to sense the Spirit of God in us by how we conduct our lives every day in every aspect of the way. Amen. You could be the most holy looking people on the planet of the earth, but what about our attitude? What about our business dealings? We can be all holy, but do you pay your bills? You might can speak in tongues like no one else. Do you pay your taxes? You may be seated. It's the truth. Amen. How do we treat people in a, or do we treat people in a Christ-like fashion on a daily basis? How do we treat people that are called on to serve us? Do we treat them like servants? Do we talk down to them? Or do we treat them like a soul? A soul, a soul. What about our hearts? Are we free from envy and strife and coveting and, and backbiting? Are we free from lying? Are we free from deceit? Because deceit is just lying's first cousin, you know. These are specifically mentioned in Scripture. Amen. I don't want to get up in the morning and say, you know, I don't know about today. These priestly garments, they're just it's a little hot, a little uncomfortable. It's too much trouble. Too much too trouble to tell the truth or too much trouble to be kind or too much trouble to be neighborly. But David said about the truth, he said that we should swear to our own hurt. Did you do that? <laughs> when the officer says, do you know how fast you were going? Yes, sir, I do. Unfortunately, <laughs> swear into your own hurt. Amen. This may be the very day that I need somebody to recognize that I have a position in God. Amen. What we think. I just want to say this. I'll ask you to stand. I'll give you hope. Amen. I'll ask you to stand. But let me ask you to consider this with me. That had to be a I don't know. I've said it before when I'm studying. I try to put myself in the scene. But I just, I just sat down this afternoon and I pulled up a chair at this council. I wasn't an invited guest, so I sat on the back row. But I just got to thinking about that had to be a, a pretty stinging statement made by the Apostle Paul when he said, I wish not, brethren, that this was a high priest. That wasn't bewilderment or bewilderment. That was an indictment. Or it should have been an indictment. Ananias, they're talking about you, sir, like you're not even in the room. Paul said, brethren, I'm sorry. Brethren, I apologize. I had no idea that that man was a high priest. What an indictment it would be for the world to stand and say, I had no idea they went to church. I had no idea they had the Holy Ghost. I had no idea that they believed in the Lord. I just picture Paul standing, pointing at him. I didn't know. I didn't know he was a high priest. I wonder. I wonder just how... Pardon the expression, but I wonder just how nude or I wonder just how naked Ananias felt in that moment when he was thinking, man, I should have put these, 
I should have wore this. I should have put this on. I, I wonder how exposed he felt. I'm not trying to be unkind or I, I'm not trying to be uh, off the beaten path here today, but I wonder if he thought, you know, I should have taken a little bit more time. I should have taken a little bit more time. I would not want to think how bad it would sting if someone pointed at me or pointed at you and said, I didn't know they were born again. I didn't know they had the Holy Ghost. I didn't notice anything different about them. They talk just like everybody else. They laugh at the same jokes everybody else laughs at. But the Bible sets a mandate before you and I. And that mandate is this. Let our light so shine before men that they see our good works. Amen. Not to glorify us. Not to lift us up that they may glorify our Father which is in heaven. First Thessalonians 5 says to abstain from the appearance of evil. Amen. What has been preached down through the ages, ladies and gentlemen, is still true today. If we look like the world, if we act like the world, guess what? We've lost our spiritual identity. Hell has stepped in and robbed us of our identity. I believe the church ought to be known by our fruits. How we look, how we walk, how we talk where we go, our personality. Amen. All of these things define who we are as a church. And I believe that when a guest comes to this church, they ought to experience Pentecost. Not just hear about it. They ought to experience Pentecost. They ought to see it. They ought to feel it. They ought to experience the power of God in every aspect of the service. It doesn't have to be a service running 100 miles an hour for the presence of God to grip a person's heart. It may be the slowest, most somber, sovereign move of God. It doesn't matter if the songs are fast or slow. Somebody can experience Pentecost if we've got a Pentecostal atmosphere created. Praise God. Let's lift our hands, can we? And magnify the Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.